Robert Andrus wrote about a subject I'm only vaguely familiar with uh, because I've never actually got to see a flea circus. Uh, but he wrote, uh, fleas can jump extremely high, 13 inches, or 200 times its length. Now, folks, that'd be the equivalent of you or I uh, jumping 900 feet. So that's how they get from animal to animal. A flea is caught and put in a jar. Without a lid, it's simple for the flea to escape by just popping right out of the jar. So the flea trainer quickly puts a lid on the jar, then he leaves it for three days. When the flea jumps, bang, it hits the lid and falls down. Over and over, the flea will jump and bang, hit the lid. Uh, after some time, you can see the flea is jumping just almost to the lid, but not quite. He jumps and jumps, but not quite hitting the top. Jumping as high as he can without hitting the top. Now that seems like a pretty smart flea to me, he wrote. But what is strange to see what happens when you take the lid off. The flea continues to jump just almost to where the lid was. It won't jump any higher. This is where it gets really a little odd. Its offspring continue to follow suit. The flea hit a limit to what it could do. He decided that he could not go any higher and then never tried to improve. Even though the limit was gone, he was stuck in a rut, doing just what he always did and not challenging himself. Now on the slight chance that this is allegorical, I will say even if it's not exactly the way Flea trains, the, the story illustrates really well the picture of habits that come into our lives and hinder us. Now the American Heritage Dictionary defines habit as a recurrent office unconscious pattern of behavior that is acquired through frequent reputation. Again, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But you keep doing the same thing over and over again and eventually you come to a place of habit. And when you think about that repeated action over and over and over again, it's not so hard to... to find out where the old adage comes that old habits die hard. The reality is the habits in our lives that we build, whether intentionally or not, whether good or bad, once they're formed, it's not actually very easy to get over that. And we're going to see a, a passage of Scripture today that illustrates this rather beautifully. It's found in Genesis chapter 20, 1 through 18. And if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God. And please, listen to this. Both ears, your heart, and not saying, I sure wish so-and-so were here to hear this. God, what are you wanting to say to me? So let's hear the Word. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the ter territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and he said to, to him, 
Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did such a thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You may be seated. God bless the reading of his word. Now, we don't know why. The text gives us no clue here. We know why Abraham went down to Egypt because of the famine. But for some reason... Abraham pulls up stakes and he makes another move in between Kadesh and Shur. And eventually, he will make his way north up to the city of Gerar. And it was there he tried to pass off Sarah as his sister to Abimelech, the king. Now, it's very possible. Abimelech is kind of like a title name like Pharaoh. Whoever the king was in Gerar, his name was Abimelech. We get a clue to this because not only does Abraham pass his wife off as his sister twice, his son Isaac will pass off his wife as his sister to another Abimelech, another king. Old habits really do die hard. So, God 
protected Abimelech to at least an extent. He intervened. He said, I kept you from touching her, which means he kept Abimelech from being able to consummate the relationship with Sarah. And he said, I have heard what's going on and I'm telling you this, you need to return that man's wife. And then Abimelech begins to say, but I'm innocent. Okay, he's innocent of not knowing she was his wife. But he still abducts her. He still steals her away from her people. So God says, yes, I know, you didn't know she was his wife, that's why I kept you from touching her. But I'm telling you this, Abraham's a prophet. By the way, this is the first time that word is used in the Old Testament. And it's not used in the sense of telling the future. It's used in the sense of the prophet when they intercede on behalf of the people before God. And you'll find prophets over and again seeking God's forgiveness for their people. He's a prophet and he'll pray for you and you'll be healed, but you need to give her back Because if you don't, you're going to die. Stealing the woman, that was bad enough for God. Keep in mind, God has told Abraham, Sarah will be the mother of the child of promise. So this whole charade is once again throwing human endangerment to the plan of God. If Sarah had been taken by Abimelech. And that would have denied her role in God's plan. So Abimelech goes and he's saying, why have you done this? And Abraham admits, I lied. I lied. Now, when you hear, if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, and you hear that he does this for a second time, it's shocking. It's absolutely A horrible failure. So why is it included in the Word of God? Why would God do this? Well, there are some scholars who say, well, the the writer of of chapter 20 just borrowed the story from chapter 12 and put it here. And No, I think this happened a second time. And I believe it happened a second time. And it's in the Word of God because guess what the Word of God is teaching us? How to live our lives. And the Word of God, in this passage, if we learn from Abraham, we will learn even from a failure of absolutely shocking behavior. And why do we need to learn it? Because we need to be prepared. And most everyone in this room is old enough to know But we need to be prepared to face old battles of our own in our walk with God. Isn't it amazing how we continually tend to do the same things over and over again? We're supposed to be learning. Why do we have so much trouble as the people of God when it comes to having victory over sin? Why is it? We may be battling battles that we fought 10, 20 years ago. We're going to take a look at our text. And we're going to see that we face familiar battles over sin for several reasons. So let's take a look. What are the things 
that cause us to fail. First of all, a major reason for our lack of victory is a failure to trust in God. We are walking the same boat as Abraham, living and sailing out to sea and walking in a journey and sailing to failure because we don't trust. When Abimelech asked, what happened? Why did you do this? Abraham admitted to Abimelech that he lied because he was afraid. Why did you do this? Abraham answers. And essentially his answer says, I had no hope that there would be a high moral ground among you and your people. We see this when he says, I, I knew there was no fear of God in the land. Now he's not saying you weren't a religious people. For they were. They worshipped pagan gods. But he says there's no fear of the true and living God. So I can't expect them to act in a holy behavior, in a righteous behavior. And he said, I was afraid. Now, the stealing of a woman from her husband was a distinct possibility in the Canaanite culture. And Abraham was right. Sarah was stolen. The interesting thing is we're not told why here. In Egypt, she was a beautiful woman. Well, she's 99 years old now. I don't know how her beauty's holding up. We're not told why he took her. Maybe he took her as a bargaining chip. I don't know. But he takes her. So Abraham, what he feared would happen about his wife being taken, happens. And now he's relying on the old lie to keep him from getting killed. The problem isn't the fact that Abraham was afraid in and of itself. There are things that happen in life all of the time that bring fear. And fear is an emotion. It's not always a bad emotion. If you're out about to drive into a wildfire and you're afraid, well, if I drive through there, it's a good thing to turn around, isn't it? It's not the fear itself. Abraham was still struggling with an assurance that God would see his purpose through. He's heard God for years now, for decades now. He has heard God make promise after promise. And he's still having trouble believing that God is capable of taking care of us. What he failed to realize was the truth that his fear was endangering the purpose of God. And because of his fear, this man who had been a man of great integrity over and over again in his story once more falls to the temptation to sin. Because I'm not trusting God to see me through. I've got to come up with a good way to get out of this. This is where it comes to us. This is what we need to grab hold of and realize. Our failure to trust in God's promises point the way that God's promises point the way to victory leads us to failure. When we don't understand that God is capable of taking care of us as His children and showing us paths, and when we come to that place of distrust, 
that maybe I ought to handle this myself, we're opening ourselves to sheer failure. When we allow fear to rule our hearts, we lose sight of God's hand on us. Like I said, there are a lot of things to be afraid of in this world. Heat that can kill. People in acts of violence that can kill. Corruption. The overpowering urge of people to harm one another. All sights of fear. But what sometimes happens, even among the people of God, is unchecked fear. Unchecked fear that eventually will lead to lack of faith. Uh, a long time ago, you helped me go to China uh, uh, for a mission trip. And I was very excited to go and, and teach. My understanding, I was going to help teach some pastors some church history. And when I got there, we, we did two different churches. One a house church, one a, a government-sanctioned church. And uh, I was so excited to get to be there. And my family was very excited for me to go. And then just about two weeks before we left, I get a call from my father. Danny, are you sure it's safe? Should you go? Now, I've been through security training, and I was told in China, if the government decided to shut us down, they would put us on a plane and send us home. The nationals who got us there would be in trouble. So I told my father, I, no, I'm not afraid, I, I'm and I, I, everything's going to be okay. And he was still not quite sure. And I had to share with Dad that I believe God was wanting me to do this. And the same kind of thing that I, I pray will guide me. I don't want fear to rule my heart. Because I know what happens when it will. I lose sight of God. The lack of faith brings us to the place of giving in to the trials we face, leading us ultimately vulnerable to temptation, falling into sin. Charles Spurgeon, over a hundred years ago, the great preacher from England said, can we gain anything by fearing and fuming? Do we not unfit ourselves for action and unhinge our minds for wise decision? We are sinking by our struggles when we might float by faith. I'm not saying don't use caution in this world and all those kind of things. I'm saying we cannot let fear, fear, fear control us because we need to start truly taking God at His word if we want to see victory in our lives. We Folks, I know you hear me talk about the Word of God a lot. And I hope that every time I say that, it doesn't become like Charlie Brown's teacher where you're not hearing. Folks, the Word of God is essential to our living. Is it possible for us to start having victory over the temptations? Yes! I absolutely believe we can start having victory in our lives. We'll never achieve sinless perfection here on earth. Christ alone has done that. But I believe we can start having more victory than we are currently having in our lives 
But that's going to depend on whether or not the Word of God guides us. Whether or not we trust it. Whether or not we commit ourselves to it. Which means whether or not we are students of the Word of God. Reading it, studying it, praying it, letting it become part of our lives. And then the Word of God will bring us to victory. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, it is the Word of God that will give us strength. And as the Spirit moves to guide us, we can have victory. But we must understand that lack of faith is not the only reason we stumble so. Our own sense of our personal strength gets in the way. Another reason for a lack of victory is a mindset of self-reliance. Ah, one of Frank Sinatra's best-known songs was one of those, the bar started playing and people knew what he was going to sing, was the song My Way. And he says, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, I'll do it my way. Folks, I think there's a reason people resonated because that's the way we live our lives. When we see Abraham, he's admitted, I lied to you because of fear. Well, he also, Abraham admitted to Abimelech that he had come up with his own plan to assure his safety in a pagan land. I already had a game plan. When I showed up in Gerar, I knew what I was going to do. Walter Brueggemann talks about the Sabbath in the lives of God's people Israel and how important it was for them in order to have a correct relationship with God. The Sabbath drew their attention to God. And Brueggemann said, Sabbath assures the cessation of destructive self-reliance which is Judah's predominant temptation. We have seen that self-reliance is a central pathology of this people. Sabbath fidelity is one surrender to such self-reliance. Israel had the tendency to believe she could not be touched. When Jeremiah is preaching to Judah that judgment's coming, he he calls him out on what apparently was a popular phrase. He basically says, stop saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, like it was a magic incantation. We have the temple. Nothing bad can happen to us. So Israel had a problem. And it goes all the way back. This self-reliance is kind of like spiritual genetics. Because that's what happened. The father of faith often failed because of his own sense. I can handle this. Over and over again, when Abraham fails, we find a common denominator. He doesn't consult God. When he fails, he just comes to the plan. And he said, this was the plan. Everywhere we went, she's my sister. Everywhere we went, And he even says, I actually told her. Now, my daughter tells me that I am a master of guilt. And I used to tell her when she was young, I couldn't make you feel guilty if you weren't guilty. That's not true. 
I know I can push buttons. And Abraham was master of it. He looks at Sarah and says, look, you need to do this for me, honey. You need to tell them. He's my brother. Because if you don't, they're going to kill me. And he sucks her into the lie. And folks, in the grand scheme of things, Abraham was supposed to be protecting Sarah. And he's using her to protect him with a lie. He said this was what we would do wherever we would go. We have two incidences of it happening. But what he says kind of gives the impression he did it before as well. Instead of protecting his wife, instead of trusting God to protect them, he comes up with a horrible scheme. He says, well, she is my half-sister, and we've talked about that before. The sister bride was not an unusual thing in the pagan nation in which Abraham grew up. But now, this is a horrible idea. Somehow he thought he knew how to handle the problem. And because he did, he failed miserably. And again, when we look at our own lives, when we look at our struggles, our battles, our maintaining the sense of righteousness and holiness, the painful truth is that sometimes our own pride is our downfall. Too often we go through life and falling into the trap of I got this. I can handle this. I won't bother. This is little. God, God I'll, I'll let you do the big things, but I can handle this. We think that we can will our way into becoming what we are meant to be. I can break that habit because I've got willpower. I can break that habit because I know what I should be, and I'm just going to I'm gonna pull myself up by my boots. We think we can muscle our way out of our problems. And folks, the moment we try to muscle our way out of our problems, we doom ourselves to failure. John Piper wrote a very important book for people like me who are in vocational ministry. The title of the book is Brothers, We Are Not Professionals plea for pastors to radical ministry. And he gave a rather abrupt call to ministers when he's letting them know we're not like other professions. Chapter 8 deals with brothers let us pray. And he reminds us of a truth. He reminds me of a truth. I cannot do what God has called me to do if I'm not praying. And if I don't have other people praying for me. That's why Paul, on several occasions, told his people, pray for me. That I will be able to speak and I will be able to do. He wrote, and this hurts, Oh, how we need to wake up to how much nothing we spend our time doing. Apart from prayer, all our scurrying about, all our talking, all our study amounts to nothing. For most of us, the voice of self-reliance is ten times louder than the bell that tolls for the hours of prayer. The voice cries out, you must open the mail, you must make the call, you must write the sermon, you must prepare for the board meeting, you must go to the hospital. But the bell tolls softly, without me you can do nothing. 
Both our flesh and our culture scream against spending an hour on our knees beside a desk piled with papers. It is un-American to be so impractical as to devote oneself to prayer and meditation two hours a day. Sometimes I fear that our seminaries conform to this deadly pragmatism which stresses management and maneuvering as ways to get things done with a token mention of prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit. And folks, you need to hear that as much as I do. Because it's very easy as the body of Christ to fall into the idea that programs will solve all of our issues. If we get the right program, staff it with the right people, everything's going to be okay. How much time are we spending in prayer? How much time are we seeking God's face? What do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? How do we do it? How do we move? We need to hear this. The call for Christian life and service does not belong only to the vocational pastor. It belongs to every one of us. And when we think we can handle things on our own, we are betraying a truth. We are in Christ. For without Him, we can do nothing. You see, I, you, we cannot break the chains of sin. We created them. James says sin is born in us in the first chapter when we give over to what we want. He doesn't even mention Satan when he talks about temptation here. We created them too often... We surrender without much of a fight for victory to come. We can try to have a plan like Abraham did. I'll do this, this, and this. We need to learn to surrender ourselves to the one whose plan we must follow. Friends, we need to understand that victory is not about our abilities, but God's. And the Word of God is It's crystal clear here. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I have this passage in your bulletin. But 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands Did you hear that? Anyone who thinks, I've got it, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if we want to start having victory in our lives, we need to bring ourselves to an on going awareness that we cannot find victory within our own power. We need the Spirit of God to empower us. We need the Word of God to build a foundation on. We can't do it alone. But folks, even self-reliance is not alone in the ability of falling into failure. There's one last reason I want us to take a look at, and I need you to hear me carefully final reason for our lack of victory is a kind of spiritual amnesia. Now I actually, when I lived here in Biloxi before I was 13 years old, 
playing sandlot football. I had a concussion. And I actually had amnesia for two weeks. I remembered who I was, but I didn't remember anything that had happened within a year. Eventually, most of it came back with that one day. I used to go around teasing my family. Who am I? Where? That joke went out the window after that. Well, there's a kind of thing that could be linked to amnesia, only it's spiritual. When you look at Abraham, the dynamic of what's happening here, Abraham seems to have forgotten who and what he was supposed to be while living among the Canaanites. Do you remember the call of Abraham? Leave your, leave your country, leave your father's house, go where I will send you and I will bless you. And you will be a blessing to all people. Abraham went into Canaan as a person who could testify to the reality of God. Abraham was, Abraham was called to be a blessing to all people. And we've seen times in his story where he was a blessing, where he did point them to the Lord. His habit, everywhere he goes, of building an altar to the real God, the true God. His willingness to risk life and limb to go and rescue the people of Sodom along with his nephew Lot. Abraham did do things to bless. But here, he endangered the plan of God with his lie. Had Abimelech believed it, had God not intervened, there would have been sin, Sarah would have been compromised, God's plan now. Here he put Abimelech in danger as well. Because God's ready to kill Abimelech and his people. Abraham has no moral high ground in this story. He is a failure. But what's amazing about God, John Newton defined it, grace. Because of God's amazing grace, he protected Sarah. It was God who kept Abimelech from being able to compromise himself and consummate this situation. God in his grace, even though Abraham had failed, what does God call him in this text? Prophet. And God says, when he prays for you, you'll be healed. And when Abraham prayed, Abimelech is healed, the women of his, his city-state are healed and can now are fertile again. God is acting on grace. He knows Abraham has faith and he gives grace even in the moment of failure. Folks, please understand that. When we fail, God is not like us. You probably all know somebody, if you've hurt them two or three times, your name's off their list forever. God is showing grace. Because Abraham's a prophet. And God is not going to let Abraham's lack of trust, his self-reliance, or his spiritual amnesia, keep God's plan from being fulfilled. 
When I was a much younger preacher, I said some things I wish I could unsay. One of those things I used to say, if we don't do what God has called us to do, there won't be anybody to do it. You know what? That's not true. God is not that dependent on Danny and Ants. If I won't do what he wants me to do, God will raise somebody up who will. And in this case, God said, I'm not going to let Abraham destroy the plan. And I'm going to bless him. Now, the money that Abimelech pays is apparently recompense. It's like the pain of a fine. Look, I shouldn't have stole your wife. Here. Pharaoh just wants Abraham gone. Abraham forgot who he was and what he was supposed to do. And God said, but I'm not through with you, Abraham. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Because I know what the writer of Hebrews calls the sin which does so easily beset in my life. And I know the failures I've had before my God. And it is His grace that allows me to continue to do what He's called me to do. But we need to understand, we often fail to understand the ramifications of our personal failures for our witness to the world. We don't understand those battles we keep losing have an impact. Now, we'll fall back on the rationalization. Well, I'm only human. I've dealt that before. Yes, we are human. But the Spirit of God indwells us. We have a source of strength and power to become what God wants us to be. But we'll rationalize. And I love Swindoll's definition of rationalization. Rationalization is what we do when we substitute false explanations for true reasons. When we cloud our actual motives with a smokescreen of nice-sounding excuses. I'll find ways to rationalize. We're human. But we are children of the living God. Saved by grace through faith. And dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Having the Word of God at our disposal. Called to walk as followers of Christ in the world. And when we forget that, when we fail that, when we forget what we are called to do, it is not a victimless crime. It's not just hurting me. When our integrity is challenged by our own actions, when we fail to walk the walk as well as talk the talk, our very witness for Christ is damaged. And all those times we post those wonderful things, I love Jesus on Facebook, and then a few days later we're angry at somebody and we post something ugly. And all those people who read, we love Jesus, no you don't. We need to understand that, folks. We are losing effective witness when we fail to live that life that God is calling us to. All those passages we read about holiness and sanctification, that's God's plan for our lives. Do we achieve it? 
perfectly here? No. But there should be growth. There should be advancement. We need to understand that our failures to trust God affect more than ourselves. Because the world's watching. Now, if you have paranoid tendencies, I don't mean to heap something else on you. But they are watching. And I believe it's not always watching, hoping we will fail. I believe people watch who are hungry for something. They know this world has not satisfied them. They know there's something missing in their lives. And they're looking to find some sense of a spirituality that is real and powerful and can bring change in their lives. They are watching and they're hoping to find a living faith. But many look at organized religion. Many look at the Christian faith in our nation as it is being lived out and they've lost any hope of finding that life-giving faith. Because they have too often seen our failure to live up to what we say we believe. It happens when we speak about love and then show lack of compassion. It happens when we sing Amazing Grace. For me, but for all those sinners out there, God, give them what they deserve. It happens when we say Jesus is Lord. Then we're not living according to His will and purpose. When these things happen, not not only is our walk with God compromised, We join the ranks of the Pharisees. And I remind you, the only people Jesus ever spoke harshly to while on earth were the people who were keeping other people from the kingdom of God. By their arrogance, by their pride, by their rules and regulations that weren't even really tied to the word of God. He said of those people, you're like a pretty whitewashed grave. You look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you're a bunch of dead men's bones. That's why we need an awakening in our land. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to move and change us and reinvigorate us with our love for Christ and His call to live the life we are called to live. We desperately need Uh, the, the finger of God to move across us. We talk about God bless America. God, change your church. And when we become what God wants us to be, we will be the blessing of God here. Just like Abraham would have been a blessing to Abimelech had he shown faith in God. We need to remember who we are in Christ We need to do what we need to do through Christ moving in us. Someone has said we rule by our habits. When habits are young, they're like lion cubs. Soft, fluffy, funny, frolicsome little animals. They grow day by day. Eventually, they rule you. Choose ye this day the habit ye would have to rule over you. 
Now I will admit, I will confess, old habits die hard. That's why the Word of God speaks to us. The writer of Hebrews, I've already alluded to it, but Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Old habits die hard. But I believe with everything within me, in Christ, we can begin to break free. In Christ, we can begin to see victory. So today, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm calling on you, ask God to give you help to trust Him. Instead of giving in to the fear of what might happen in this world, Lord, give me faith so when the battle comes, I'll be ready. I'll be fully dressed in the armor of God. Ask God to give you strength instead of relying on yourself. And admit, Lord, apart from you, I can't do anything. I can't live this life if you don't move in me. Ask God to keep fresh in your mind, who you are in Christ and what He has called you to be. Now today, we're going, we're not even going to do a hymn today per se, but we're going to have a time of dedication. Not a hymn of invitation, but a time of dedication. And we're going to have some silence again before the Lord. And where you're at, or if you want here at the front, if you'd like to pray here, and in a moment if you'd like me to pray with you. Because the reality is, folks, in all honesty, if I were to give a hymn of invitation for this message, every person in every pew should be down here. Because folks, we're not living the way we could or should. And the thing about it, God is calling us to a different life. Again, not holier than thou, but different. Because the Spirit of God is within us. So I'm asking you today to dedicate yourself and ask God, Lord, you begin the changes in me that will allow me to start seeing victory. You begin the changes in me that will bring these habits, these sins in my life that I keep fighting that for me to start having victory. Lord, you move in me so that I will not bring dishonor to your name. Lord, Change me. I've shared with you, again, more times than I can count. If you walk out of this building the same as you came in, 
you have not worshipped. You cannot meet the Holy One of Israel and stay the same. 